scripture reading, we're going to hear from God's word as we prepare to worship him through music. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12 says, Thank him who has given me strength, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The say, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were, in, who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together. Shout out your prayer. 
praise the Lord this morning. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, Central. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning, Central. We are so happy to have you here in the house of the Lord this hey, morning. Hey, Courtney, to whenever we go this. back up there, can you go Before in the middle I of the stage, please? Split further, the difference between me and Joel. We always give you the opportunity to serve. And right now, we have that opportunity. So we need two people in the nursery to go right now Don't over to the nursery to see Miss Vicki to help out in our children's ministry this morning. So if you're willing to, if you wouldn't mind going to the nursery at this time, I'd appreciate it. And it looks like I have two people. Thank you all very much, ladies. Well, welcome to Central. If you're a visitor with us today, thank you. Courtney, if you're a visitor with us today, Courtney. there's a card in the pew back in front of you. If you don't mind filling that out, we'd love to connect with you this week. We'd love to pray with you as well. So if you do have a prayer request, whether you're a visitor or a guest or one of our members, you can write your prayer request on that card as well. And you can place those in the boxes by the door on your way out this morning. If you came prepared to give, there's also... An envelope in the pew back in front of you where you can put your tithe or your offering there and you can put that in the box as well if you have your physical tithes and offerings this morning. You can also give online or drop those off by the church office this week as well. At the end of the service today, um, we're going to have a time of response. That time is for you. That time is for you to submit to what the Lord has for you in your life, whether that is to give your life through salvation um, whether it's to, to participate in the believer's baptism or maybe you're called to ministry and called to worship in that way. We encourage you to come forward and speak to Pastor Sonny or any of the members of our worship team, um, our leadership team, and um, those in front this morning whenever we end our service today. This time I'd like to, to pray as we continue in our time of worship. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to worship freely. God, whether it's in your house, whether it's in our car, whether it's at our home, we can do that without fear of persecution. God, we thank you for that freedom that we have that so many don't. God, we ask that you continue to, to be in this place. God, that we would open our hearts and our minds to what you would have for us today through the songs and the lyrics that are sung through the words that are spoken by Pastor Sonny. God, lay on our heart what you would have for us. God, we love you. We lift all of our praises to you. Amen.
Praise you, God. All we have is you. You are all we need, God. Forgive us for the times when we seek to fulfill ourselves with anything else. You are all sufficient. God, you are all providing, God. We love you, and we pray that we hear from your word in this time. Amen. Amen. Well, you can join me at the front if you'd like to pray, but I want to read for us uh, from God's word this morning. Great singing and uh, what music that points us to Christ and why we're here. Um, I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. Y'all know that book? Well, you're going to hear more of it in a minute. But listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Sometimes we, um, we don't remember the things that, that the Lord teaches us and shows us. But, but I think this is a passage that is so fundamentally important in our lives I want us to just pray into our life this morning as a congregation, as a church, as individuals. So this is what it says. Just what a, what a reminder. Philippians chapter 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own sins, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we understand that you are a God who is holy. You are a God who is perfect. And as we pray to you this morning and talk to you, God, we are humbled just being in your presence. For, Lord, you are here with us this morning. You are very present among our, in our midst. We know you're here this morning because, God, your word promises that. You promise to be here with us today. We know we're not just a gathering of individuals. We know we're just not a gathering of people that are quote-unquote, trying to be moral people, but Lord, we are spiritual people. And for the majority of the people in this room, your Holy Spirit lives in us, and you unite us, and you bring us to a place of one accord as we pray to you, the same God, even though we come from all different walks of life. But Lord, we are here this morning to humble ourselves. God, we pray this word into our lives. We pray this word into our church today, that you would Lord, humble us, that you would give us the kind of mind, the mind of Christ, who humbled himself, who laid down his life for other people, people he agreed with, people he didn't agree with, people, Lord, just like us, all of us, who were so cut off from you and so separated from you, Father. But Jesus, you laid down your life for us, you loved us, and you gave us the ability to be able to embrace and to adopt this mindset, to humble ourselves to, Lord, see others more significant than we see ourselves. 
to Lord lift each other up and encourage each other, to speak truth into each other's life, to love one another. Oh Lord, there are so many churches, so many of your brides here on earth that Lord have lost their love for you and lost their love for each other. And they've grown to be places, Lord, where they're just a group of individuals who share common interests, but there's no power and there's no presence. But Father, we know that you are present with us and we call upon your power to move among us, God, as a congregation and as a church. And so, Lord, would you speak into our lives and would you move among us? Would you work among us? Would you cause us to love one another with, 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 with the kind of love that, Lord Jesus, you loved us with? We pray that you'd help us to sacrifice for one another. We pray that, Lord, we would care about each other's interests and burdens more than that we care about ourselves. Oh, God, that you would move among us and humble us in this, in this way. We thank you for the book of Philippians and how it has spoken your word into our life. This is what the gospel does, Jesus. This is what the good news of you, of Christ, does in our lives. It molds us. It shapes us into the men and women, the church that, God, you've called us to be. So, God, would you move even now? Would you pray, we pray that, Lord, you would move even now in your word. God, as we turn to it over the next few minutes, as we've been singing, as we've been remembering, God, your power, remembering who you are through music and through praying, we come to your word now, and we pray that your hand would be with us, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, give us the faith to believe, give us the faith to follow you faithfully with our life, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm so glad that you're here with, at, uh, with us in worship. I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Philippians. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, very familiar chapter. Uh, we've been walking through Philippians chapter 3 for the last several weeks. And we come this morning to the end of Philippians chapter 3. If you're with us this morning and you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you here to Central. We're glad that you're here. Hope that you've been welcomed through the doorways in the worship center this morning. If you see somebody you don't know around you, church members, you welcome them, you greet them at the end of the service, okay? This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to focus our attention on Philippians chapter 3, closing out this chapter beginning in verse 17. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. Um, I'm excited about the next few weeks in Philippians chapter 4. If you've ever struggled with worry or anxiety or panic attacks or thinking about other things outside of Christ, you're going to want to be here the next few Sundays. Because in Philippians chapter 4, that is exactly where Paul goes. He's going to speak to worry. He's going to speak to anxiety. He's going to speak to the struggle we sometimes have with doubt and in all of these cases when we go through trials and difficulties in our life. And he's going to speak to us and God's going to speak to us through the lens of the Apostle Paul who was writing this book, who is at the moment, as he's writing this, going through a trial, going through a season where everything should have spoken to him when it comes to anxiety and worry and, 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 and doubting and all of these things in between. So I hope you'll make plans to join us. Five Sundays from today, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday in this room. We're, we're excited about that. We're just a few Sundays away from that. It's hard to believe, but... Between now and then, we're going to be praying. Between now and then, we've got some things planned that we're going to talk about as a church over the next two or three Sundays as we pray and as we continue to march towards 
Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. It's going to be a special day. I want you to open your Bibles. Look with me at verse 17. If you're there, say amen. All right, we got our Bibles open. Good deal. Look at verse, seven, or look at verse 17, chapter 3 with me. This is what Paul says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're in this destruction. Their God, little g, is their belly. And they glory in the shame. They glory in the shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we wait a, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We've always been driven to go to places we've never been. We've always been driven to accomplish things that we've, no one's ever accomplished. The tallest peak in the world is Mount Everest. The first man who ever climbed that sum, summit was a man by the name of Edmund Hillary. If you've ever heard his name, it's a pretty fascinating story to study him. But in the 1950s, what he was known for, without all of the fancy equipment we have today, without GPS, without the, the, the fancy equipment, climbing equipment that people have today when they climb Mount Everest, he had very and with very limited equipment and very limited understanding or knowledge, in fact, no knowledge of Mount Everest. He successfully climbed the summit of Mount Everest. But in the 1950s, he didn't just go to Mount Everest. He went to the South Pole. He was on the first expedition to go all the way to the South Pole. He was on the first expedition in the 1950s to go to the North Pole. So in the matter of 10 years, a man with very limited understanding and knowledge, being the first person to accomplish these things, having no map, having no previous person he could sit down with and interview, was successful in getting to Mount Everest, tallest peak in the world, getting to the South Pole and getting to the North Pole, and that is why we consider him one of the most famous people in the history of the world. Oh, there is a way, and there is a guide that oftentimes takes us there, because in the, in the fact of the matter is, when you go to Mount Everest today, which I've never been, and none of us in the room most likely have ever been, but as you go to Mount Everest today, and as you walk those trails, and as you, 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 you get to the summit of Mount Everest, which is extremely hard, you are climbing on the backs of individuals, beginning with Edmund Hillary, who did it before you, who showed the way, who showed the way. In fact, there are places along the way getting up to Mount Everest that are named in light of him and his name. There's always a guide, and there is always someone who can take you to a place where you've never been. Let me just say this to us this morning as we walk into this text that the Christian life is about following. The Christian life is about following. It's about following Christ, but it's also about following the right examples that are around you. If you follow this, the right person, that right person will lead you to the right destination. If you follow the wrong person spiritually in your life, or whatever you look into your life, and whatever you see into your life, those people around you, they will ultimately lead you to the wrong destination. It's very simple, right? You see it. And this is what the Apostle Paul is beginning to say to us. You see, we follow people who are, who are godly. Follow people who are Christ-like in that way. Follow people that are godly examples. Because when you follow the right people, it will lead you to grow in Christ, and it will lead you to wait properly for Christ to return. Let me say that again. That we are to follow people who are godly and who are Christ-like, 
because you follow the right people, it will lead you to grow in Christ and to also wait for Christ to return. In chapter 3, this is Paul's focus. His focus has been all about knowing Christ, all about pursuing Christ. So as he's writing to this church in Philippi, his focus and his effort is on the writer, or the listener rather, the person in Philippi, the church member, the average church member in Philippi, to get their minds and focus off of themselves and to get them on Christ. And what Paul says is, look to my life, watch my life. You see that I'm trying to pursue Jesus. I'm not trying to know about Jesus. I'm not trying to just get Bible facts into my mind and in my heart. I want to know Christ. I want to pursue him. And there is a depth in which God wants us to know him. He's given us complete and full access to him. If you look back in chapter 3 at verse 12, what it says, that I have already obtained this, not, ha- not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's his aim. That's his ambition. That's what he's about. That's what he's trying to accomplish in his own personal life. And his ultimate aim is heaven. That's there, but he's here. And as he's here, he's trying to aim to pursue Jesus, know Jesus, and to walk with him. He wanted the Philippians here to pursue Christ. And the way that he wants the Philippians to pursue Christ is not only to look to Jesus Christ, but to also look to those godly examples, those people around them that they were to pursue that would help them grow. What makes a person worthy of following? That's a valid question, isn't it? What makes a person worthy of following in the Christian life? A person that you allow into your life. Maybe it's a close friend, someone to speak truth into your life. Someone that when you're going through a crisis, you pick up the phone and you call. Someone that's in our church or in your life spiritually who you can look to and say, well, I'm going through this crisis. I'm going through this difficult season. I'm going through this really bad season in my life. How should and how, I ought, how ought I to think about them? How ought I to follow? How ought to think about this, pers- this, this trial that I'm going through? What makes a person follow, what's worthy of following? What makes a person worthy to model your life after? in a lot of ways. Who should get the lion's share of your time? Who should get the lion's share of your attention? I wanna point out for us what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Is God's word speaks to that very question and it answers it for us this morning. You see, first of all, you can follow a lot of people in your life. There are a lot of voices in your life. There are a lot of people sitting around you, by the way, right now. There are a lot of voices that are speaking into your life. There are individuals that you can point to around you, not either physically, but even outside of this room that you can point to. But here's what God says. Follow people who give you a godly example. Follow people who give you a godly example, who are godly in their character, Christ-like in their character. Look at verse 17. This is what Paul says. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul says. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So the command is very simple in verse 17. He says, first of all, look to me, Paul says. And then he's going to say, look to others. So he's going to say, look to me. In fact, this isn't the only time he's going to say this. In chapter 4, verse 9, we're going to come back to it in just a couple weeks. But if you look down in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul's going to say, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, um, uh, 4, verse 16, he's going to tell the church in Corinth, imitate me, follow me, follow my example in every way. 
So at the end of chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says the very same thing. Paul's focus was to follow or to follow Jesus Christ and then to pass on that change, that lifestyle, that way of thinking to others who were looking to him. But he says there in verse 17, imitate me. And then he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In other words, he says, keep your focus not on people just based on their position. You know, there, there are people that have titles. There are people who have uh, uh, clout, say in a local church, well, I've been a member 45 years or 47 years, or I've got this position, right? Or I've got this title of this person or that person, or don't follow people based on position. You don't follow people based on those who are influential. You don't follow people on, based on those who um, are the wealthiest. You, you don't follow people based on their personality, if they has charisma, they're really outgoing, they're really likable, they're really funny. Those are the kinds of people. That's not what you focus your life on. You focus the life on their walk. What is observable about their life? You look to their life. You look to the person. What is their walk like? What do you see when it comes to their walk? Not a person that is perfect, but a person who is progressing spiritually in their life. You see the person, and you see the spiritual change in their life from five years ago and ten years ago or a year ago. Those are the kinds of people that you look to and you get around and you model your life like. Not the people that are perfect, but people who are progressing, who are growing, who are spiritually changing. Those are the ones who have steady spiritual growth in their life. What is that an indicator of? The Spirit of God is not only in their life, but that person is giving themselves over to the Spirit of God. That person is giving themselves over to the Word of God in their life in order to allow those things to change them, to allow those things to transform them. Oh, that's the kind of person I want to be around because I want to see that spiritual growth in their life so that I can also come alongside them and see what is the secret sauce to spiritual growth. And the secret sauce to spiritual growth is not position and power and money and wealth and titles. Oh, no, it's not that. It is their simple, humble walk with Jesus Christ. It's God who changes their hearts. It's God who transforms their lives, right? It's people not just that you can see and walk, that, that are walking with Jesus. It's people who are thinking well. What I mean by that is people who are wise, people that apply wisdom, people that apply discernment, people that apply and you see maturity in their life. You see this growing. People like what we just prayed for. Back over in chapter 2, verse 15, he says this, and Paul says this, as he's speaking this in the after, in the few verses, right after the verses that we just prayed. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a, uh, a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Look to the people who are distinct and different than the community around us, distinct and different than the generation that is twisted and crooked, the people that are lights in a dark world. That's the people that you want to spend your lion's share of your time around. This is Paul's point in verse 17. And he's saying, listen, you look to those kinds of people. You look to me as well. These are the examples that you want to model your life like. Those are the people to imitate. Look with me. Look at me. Those in verse 17 that you take your eyes off of the bad examples, you put your eyes on the good examples. That's what you do. You imitate those people. You look to their life, whether you know them really well or you don't know them really well. 
you see that person from a distance and you've never really had a ca ca even a casual conversation with them or not, doesn't matter. I'm going to look to that person because I see exponential, steady spiritual growth in their life. And I just, when I'm around them, I take and I measure them based on the fruit of the Spirit. And I measure them based on what I read about, what I read about individuals in the New Testament. Not someone who's perfect, but someone who's spiritually progressing. That's who I want to be around. That's what I want to model my life like. That's what I want to allow into my mind and into my heart. You learn from their walk, and then you pursue that walk behind them. Oh, men like what Paul's already said, right? Timothy and Epaphroditus. Remember those two men? He's already pointed those two men out to us. Back over in chapter 2, look at verse 19. Back the chapter previous. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send you Timothy to you soon so that I too may be, uh, be cheered by the news of you. He says, oh, for I have no one like him who will be genu genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 22, but you know Timothy's what? Proven worth, how as a son and a father he has served me with the gospel. That's Timothy. How about Epaphroditus? We looked at him just a few Sundays ago, down in verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister in my need. Oh, they knew Epaphroditus' life. He wasn't just this casual man that graced the church once in a while or, or set off in the, in the corner somewhere that nobody knew anything about. They didn't just know his title, they knew his character. They watched him live his life. They watched him walk through victories, and they watched him walk through difficulties in his life. And they saw the godly character in Epaphroditus' life. They were concerned about him. What, is they, what does Paul say about men like that? Well, look down at uh, verse 29 and verse 30. He said, so receive him in the Lord with joy. And what? You say it. Honor such men. Those are the men that you put on the pedestal. Those are the men that you speak highly of. Those are the men that you model your life like. But Paul points not just to those men, but he points to himself. You see, here's the thing. Paul is writing this, and he says in verse 17, there in the verse, brothers, join in imitating me. Sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? Oh, but it's far from the truth. Because the apostle Paul is not arrogant and in the least bit. Because Paul understands that his life has already been crucified with who? Christ. Paul's life is not his own. Paul has now been bought and paid for by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Paul is not his own, but he is walking faithfully in the eyes of the people that he is following. He knew that when he makes a statement like, you imitate me, he's not talking about you imitate all of my imperfections. What he's talking about there is he's saying, my life has been bought and paid for by Jesus. It's being transformed. It's growing. I'm becoming more Christ-like. And when you look to me, you're seeing Jesus Christ, an evidenced exa or an, an example of someone who was a sinner, broken, and someone who is, by the grace of God, has been transformed and is being transformed. That's what you follow, and that's what you begin to imitate in your life. A man who, in this moment as he's writing this in chapter 3, is going through trials. 
and all do you look to people who are broken men, broken individuals who have walked through difficult seasons. You look to them and watch how, as through trials, how they handle those trials. Have they been faithful? Have they been God-honoring? Have they been walked, have they walked through difficult seasons and had every right to say no to God or to blame God or to cast God aside and say, God, why do you hate me so much? They don't do that. Instead, they keep their eyes on Jesus, keep walking forward. Those are the kinds of people I want to be around. And those are the kinds of people that Paul is, is mentioning. He says, imitate me, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. There's one way you grow. You hitch yourself to those who have a godly example. Not people outside of this church. Not people outside of your Christian community. Not the, not the, the great coach or the great person that is the great moral leader or the great moral writer of our day or the great example of, of diplomacy or patriotism. All of those things are important and good and all of those things, but it's not Christ-like. You model your life after those who follow Jesus Christ and him alone. That's Paul's expression to us. You look to those people, you listen to those people, not just your friends. Let me get a little personal. Sometimes our friends don't walk with Jesus. You press into the people who walk with Christ. You press into the people who are humble. You press into the people who you see are walking with Christ and you move in close to those people because those are the people you can trust. Those are the people that are gonna speak truth into your life. Those are the people that are going to encourage you when you're in de discouraged. I look to myself. Paul says, follow his example. But let me just tell you this. No leader is perfect. But it is the, strive, the, the aim of every pastor or spiritual leader's life to walk according to the way Jesus walks. So you do that publicly, but oh, you better do it privately. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way, their way of life, and imitate their faith. Now that's a tall order. And that's something that in my own personal life, I have to be on my knees and on my face regularly. Because the fact of the matter is, Satan hates two things in this world. He hates the family and he hates the church. And if he can take down the spiritual leader or spiritual leaders, then oh, guess what happens? It's the gospel that gets the black eye. It's the impact of the word of God that gets the black eye. It's God ultimately that gets the black eye. But Paul says this, follow those who are godly, who are Christ-like, both leaders and both people that you have around you. There's a lot of people that you could follow. Follow people who are godly and Christ-like. But second of all, follow those who reject a self-centered life. Now watch what Paul does here in verse 18 and 19. Very simple, but very profound. You see, he's going to contrast the godly leader himself and others and godly people to what they are around and what they hear and what they see. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's going to contradict or contrast rather what they see. There are plenty of people around us who are not wise. There are plenty of people who act foolish in the way that they live their life and know what the word of God says 
they've heard sermons or maybe they've had been Bible studies and maybe they've prayed and maybe they've done all kinds of things and yet there are plenty of people that live and act foolish even around us. You see those examples as well. The examples of Christ's likeness but also the examples of foolishness. He says those who pursue what? Earthly things. People who pursue not just earthly possessions but earthly treasures and accolades and the pats on the back and being put on their pedestals and positions and power and prestige. Those are the people who you ought to avoid. Two categories here. There's those who are Christ-centered and then there are those who are self-centered. And here's Paul's warning here in verse 18 and 19. Paul warned that there are those who, in his case, in this scenario, in fact, he points it out in chapter one, who preach self over Christ. They preach a different gospel over Christ. Paul was grieved. Paul speaks to it. He doesn't come in a passive way in addressing that. He hits it head on. People that were threats to the people of God, people who were threats to the church of the living God here in Philippi, and he speaks about it. He writes to them. He doesn't cut corners in addressing it aggressively who they really were, were enemies of the cross of Christ. They were antithetical to what the Bible teaches us about the cross. They were against what Jesus Christ said, his character. That's how you weigh people, both leaders who are preaching and people who influence you in your life. There will be people who, because of their walk and because of their behavior, contradict the cross of Jesus Christ. There will always be those people who are self-serving. There will always people be people that are self-absorbed. There will always be people that are prideful and just want their own agenda. There will always be people around us in that way, but that is against, don't we see, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what we see in Jesus Christ was though he saw us and God sees us in our broken state, he sees us in our flawedness, that's a word I made up. He sees us the way that we are, yet leaves heaven and lays down his life for his people. He lays down his life for you, and he lays down his life for me. We see no self-absorption or self-centeredness. We see no breaking from Jesus, the Son of God, breaking from the Father's will and doing his own thing and going rogue. We see none of that. Instead, we see perfect submission, perfect in every way, Humility, laying down his life for us. The Bible says here in 18 and 19, you follow those people, you follow those leaders, you follow those people that influence you that are self-centered and self-absorbed and not cross-centered. It leads to destruction. It leads to false satisfaction. It leads to gaining a shameful glory. Got my way. I got what I wanted, my power, my prestige, a fleshly glory, but no glory on Christ. Oh, there's self-centeredness, but there's also Christ-centeredness. Those are the people you follow. As a young couple, Christina and I, when we were having our, our boys, our boys are older now, but when our kids were young, um, I grew up in an only child, as an only child. I didn't have brothers and sisters. Christina grew up with a brother and a sister. God gives us four boys. Go figure. 
I had no idea what I was doing. We had no idea what we were really doing when we were young as young couples, as a young couple with young kids. So we sought after and we found a couple in our church who had five kids from all different seasons of life. I used to get together and have lunch with that man and I'd sit down with him and I'd say, how do you do this? I was one of his pastors. And yet his was a godly father and I saw him raising his five children. I'd just sit down with him and I'd say, God, how, 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 did, how do you do this? How do, you, how do you balance time with all five? He had boys and girls. How do you deal with a guy and a girl and then balance the time? And how do you, you know, and, and I'd learn from him. We would sometimes talk to that couple, that husband and that wife, that mom and dad, and we would just talk to them about how do you raise kids? I think there's value in that. Young couples, young families, you ought to do that. Look to the couples in our church and older families in our church who have raised children to the glory of God and spend time with them. Not people that are self-centered, but people who are Christ-centered, people who raised children in a Christ-centered home, in a Christ-centered family. First, this, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. We, we get that? Paul's trying to say that about that using that phrase to help us understand that the people that we surround ourselves with, the people that we allow ourselves to, to, to influence us and shape us will ultimately shape us. And we're either going to be shaped towards Christ or we're going to be shaped towards destruction. That's what, point is. That's what Paul's point is in verse 18 and 19. 19, he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. The mind set on earthly things. They got what they wanted, but it's empty. It's destruction. No, avoid those kinds of people. But follow godly people who reject the self-centered lifestyle, right? Find people who are Christ-centered and Christ-driven, not will, will not leave you away from the cross, but that will lead you to the cross and who are champions for the cross. People who are humble, people who seek the truth, people who live out the truth, people who are spirit-filled, people who are producing the fruit of the spirit in their individual and lives, right? Their lives have been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. He points that out time and time again in the book of Philippians. It's all about the gospel and the, how the gospel has shaped their life. I find in my own personal life that the more people that I spend time with who are cross-centered and Christ-centered, the more time I spend with those people in conversation and prayer times and encouraging times, when I'm around someone who's not that way, I see it amplified so clearly. I can walk with someone or talk to someone who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ and I can sense the Spirit of God is really taking hold of their life. And the more I spend with that person, then I casually have a conversation or a sit down meeting with someone and I just hear the complete opposite of that. And it just opens up and it shows me more and more of what I shouldn't be around and what I shouldn't uh, uh, allow myself to be a part of. Your life will grow in Christ the more people that you're around who are rejecting a self-centered lifestyle. Follow those people who reject that self-absorbed, self-centered lifestyle. Follow godly examples, Paul says. Look to me, look to others. He says reject those who are self-centered and self-absorbed, but he brings it home. You see it in the text in verse 20 and 21. He says, listen, godly people, they'll lead you where? Christ. Godly people won't lead you to destruction. Godly people, Christ-like people, will lead you to Christ. So he says, 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are not of this world. Can I say that again? We are not of this world. This world will get worse and worse and worse. That's the bad news. The good news is you will grow closer and closer to Christ and closer and closer to the end, which is just the beginning. That's Paul's reminder here. In the wake of talking about enemies of the cross of Christ and all of that, he says, church, live like it. Think like it. The fact of the matter is it's not easy to go through the struggles of life, parenting, marriage, trials, diseases, suffering, all of these things that we go through in our life. Surround yourself with people that are pointing you to Christ in the midst of all of that. People that will lead you to Christ. Because we're just waiting and we're watching. And those are the people that you need to surround yourself with. People that are going to surround you with people as Paul is reminding the church here in Philippi is God reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. It is not here. And what a healthy reminder of that. I love this nation. What a reminder. Every year we have opportunities throughout the year to be reminded of the citizenship of America. Christina and I, when we were a young couple, no kids, we lived in and around Washington, D.C. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and on the 4th of July, it is like no other. We camped out early that day with some friends on the Capitol steps. You got to get there super early on the 4th of July. There's over a million people on the mall. You see America. You see the ugliness of America on the mall, and you see the goodness of America on the mall. Over a million people there celebrating the 4th of July, we get there early, early, about mid-morning, and we stake our place that night there in front of the National Symphony, who's playing the 1812 Overture. As you're looking straight down the mall, here come the fireworks display up behind the National Monument there at that moment. And you remind yourself what a nation we live in, but it is nothing compared to the glory of heaven. <laughs> there is nothing that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can assure you of that. No firework, no 1812 overture, nothing compares to heaven. I got news for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you don't understand why I'm even laughing out of joy because this world is difficult. This world is hard. But there is a heaven that awaits to those who are citizens of heaven. There is victory, victory. And we are citizens of a new kingdom. You need to surround your, your, play, your life with people who can speak this kind of truth into your life. Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to read a few verses from it. It says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for who are those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He's going to go on to say in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's going to go on and say, verse 12, 
So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Amen? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit were put to death and the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom you we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. He's going to go on and say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared, comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, the, the revealing of the sons of God. Oh, he's going to round it out. We know the passage. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is the right hand, who's at the right hand of, the, of God, who indeed is intervening for interceding with us, for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. He says this, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Surround yourself with people who speak that into your life, who lead you forward, who shape your character, who will not lead you to self, will lead you to Christ. People who carry the light, those are the people that want to be most influential in your life. People who are constant and steady, who are reminding you both through their character and their lifestyle and through the words that they say, this is not our home. Those are the ones you surround yourself with. Those are the ones who, who lead you to Christ. Those are the ones who are worth following. Follow people who are godly in, as an example. Because when you follow people, the right people, it will lead you to grow. It will lead you to wait for Christ's return. How do you do that? Well, you pray. You pray, and then you pray some more for those kinds of people to be shown to you in your life. Then you watch people's lives. You just observe people's lives. You listen to what they say. You listen to watching what they do. Are they godly or are they fleshly? And then when you find the people that you see and you listen to that are, I think, are following Christ, you seek them out. Maybe you move in and have a casual conversation. Maybe you just say, hey, can I have a cup of coffee with you? Can I have lunch with you sometime? Can I come over to your house? Can I just talk to you about life? Those are the people you seek. Those are the people that you are worthy of your time and your attention. But let me say this before we close. Be that person. Don't just look for those people. You be those kinds of people. Strive for that. You strive for godliness and Christ-likeness in your life. You strive to reject self-centeredness and self-absorption. 
You strive to be a person who leads other people to Christ, both with the gospel, but in how you lead and speak into the lives of other people. Strive to be that. That begins when you give your life to Christ. That begins when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is the starting point for us. Because for those of us in the room that are Christians, this is spoken to us. We're to put off and we're to put on, we're to strive to be Christ-like, we're to strive to reject self-centeredness, we're to strive to, that our lives, that our words, that our actions lead people to Christ. But for those of us who are not followers of Jesus Christ yet, let me just simply say that what God says to you and to me, that if you don't know him as your Savior and your Lord yet, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. And you need to understand that God loves you. He cares deeply for you. And he's perfect and he's holy in every way. That's how God describes himself to us. He's not like this world. (laughs) You can't point to an individual that is like God. He is so unlike us. Perfect. Sin cannot be in the presence of him. And yet at the same time, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. All of us are sinners, broken, cut off from God. What a dilemma. That's the real problem in our life. No matter how good you are, how how much you try to be better than what you were before, you'll never be good enough for God. Let me say that again. You will never, ever be good enough for God. God knew that. So he loved us and he sent his own son into the world. God did for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. God, in the form of Jesus, Jesus came and he laid down his life for you and for me in perfection. He became the lamb of God who went to the cross for your sake and for my sake. He became the solution. What God says to you and to me, if you don't know him and you haven't trusted him as your savior and your Lord, is to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your brokenness, and simply ask him, Lord, I turn from my sin and I want to follow you. Will you heal my heart? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my savior? And the promise that God gives you is that he will come into your life and he will save you. He will remake your life, not give you a new one. He will not make, give you a better version of yourself. He will give you a new version of yourself. We become new creations. The old is past, it's gone. Sin, all that stuff I did in my past, it's gone. It's now been forgiven. What a place to be when you're free. All that guilt. So, as we do every Sunday, give you a chance to know him in a personal level. There are going to be a few of us down here at the front if you want to come and pray. If you're a church member and you just want to come and kneel here at the front, you can come. Talk to the Lord, confess sin to him, talk to him. If you're this morning here and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to have some courage and step out and come down and tell us. I'll be here at the front. There'll be others. You come and tell us. If you want to join our church, if you want to be baptized, if God's speaking to you about ministry, whatever God is leading you to do in your life, say yes to him. Let me pray. We'll stand and sing. God, thank you this morning for the time that we've had in your word. 
Your word never enters our ears without requiring us to respond to it. So speak to our hearts and how you're speaking to us. We want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. We want to say yes to you. So we say yes to you. We give you this time as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing and worship. You can be seated this morning. Um, hey, listen, you know, we're always available at the end of the service. Last Sunday, the last several Sundays, we had decisions after the service was over, conversations right here at the front. And so I'm always available to talk to you about salvation, baptism, whatever God might be speaking to you about. Membership, okay. Um, this morning, I just want to mention just a couple very quick announcements before we're dismissed today. First of all, pray for our students this coming Wednesday night. They're scattered. There's some over here, and then there's some all around the worship center. But we got about 30-plus, almost 40 students heading down to an event called Field of Faith. Um, it's an event down at Splendora High School where youth groups come together and they worship the Lord and um, they're praying for their schools and their communities. And so pray for our group as they travel down there Wednesday that God would move among those students and um, continue to, to move among the many students that come on Wednesdays. We have students that are not Christians, many that are coming. And so just pray for them as they continue that God would uh, move and, and speak into their life. 
As you know, in your bulletins today, it is the week of prayer for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As you can see, the mission field above my head. 371 million people, 350 languages in North America. We sit one hour north of Houston. It's the most multicultural city in the United States. And so you know that because I got great food. We got great food in Houston all over, right? I love it. But anyway, 281 million people that are estimated lost in North America, not just the United States, but also in Canada. And so as a result of that, one of the things we do in the spring is we pray for our North American mission board and we take up a, an Easter offering, so to speak. Our prayer focus this week is right there in your bulletin. You should have a prayer guide here this coming week, praying for what God is doing um, among our North American Mission Board here in the United States and across Canada. Our goal is going to be $9,000 as a church to give towards that. We want to keep trying to, super, uh, to, um, uh, uh, to overcome that or overwhelm that. I'm trying to think of the word. I can't even think of the word. Surpass it. There you go. See, y'all know the word. $9,000, and we have, in the last three years, we've surpassed it, far surpassed um, our goal. Let's pray for that. Let's ask God to bless in that. Um, but I want, you to watch, I want you to watch a short video on the North American Mission Board, and then we'll uh, talk about a few things to wrap things up. Watch this. In North America, wherever God is calling people to go and reach the lost, hopeless, and needy, we are there. We are the North American Mission Board in big cities and small towns and college campuses and military communities. Anywhere and everywhere, there are people who need to hear the gospel. We are there. We come alongside you and your church to send thousands of missionaries to plant new churches everywhere for everyone. Through Send Network, we've helped Southern Baptists plant more than 9,400 new congregations, and that's just since 2010. That is history making. Because if we continue at that pace, by the year 2030, one-third of all SBC churches will have been planted since then. Through Send Relief, we're meeting physical and spiritual needs at 20 ministry centers near and far in Los Angeles and Toronto and Puerto Rico and multiple places in between. Together, 37,000 volunteers and missionaries all over North America are feeding, helping, welcoming, and loving. And as they do, they're earning opportunities to share the gospel with people who've never heard it before. In everything we do, we have one common purpose, to share the hope of the gospel. That's why we help churches start churches everywhere for everyone. That's why we equip believers to meet physical needs so that lives can be changed by sharing the love of Christ. And that's why we provide evangelism tools and training Tens of thousands of believers are now using such tools, like Three Circles and Who's Your One, to pray for and share Christ with their lost family members, friends, and neighbors. And those gospel conversations are leading to countless baptisms. We also send more than 3,000 chaplains to hospitals and prisons and military bases, reaching people with good news in hard to reach, often difficult situations. And to make all this possible, you give tens of millions of dollars to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and millions more through the cooperative program so that together we can send missionaries to unreached communities all over the U.S. and Canada. The end result of all those things is this. Believers are sent, needs are met, souls are saved, and churches are planted. 
it is a beautiful thing because we're all in it together. I love the beauty of cooperation and every person you see in those videos are people like you that are in local churches serving. So our philosophy here is that we pray as we're doing this week, we give as we're doing here this coming week, both in special offerings, but also we fund the North American Mission Board through our giving uh, on our regular budget. And then we go. And so opportunities both in our community, but also around the world, around our country and around North America to assist local churches as they're starting and planting. We're all a part of that together. And that's the beauty I love about cooperation that we have across all of our churches across North America. So let's be faithful to pray this week. Let's be faithful to give. And uh, when we provide opportunities and look for opportunities that we can as a church, and you're going to hear more about this this coming year, talk about how we can go and connect in ways to both assist helping church plants and uh, others in need. Um, be a part of going, okay? So with that said, let's have a, a word of prayer. Let's stand. Um, one of the tangible ways as we are giving, as we leave today, that you can give is through muffins or missions. So we got that in the lobby today over in the connection point. You help out. That's one small way you can do, take part in that offering today. And uh, what a beautiful thing. And we're going to pray over our tithes and our offerings as we give today. Let's be faithful to give. Um, both this offering, but also our tithes this morning to, uh, to accomplish the work that God has for us as a church here locally, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for the time that we've had to worship you today and God as we go into our Bible study classes, as we go our separate ways, you enter into the mission field. And so Lord, as we scatter, Lord, would you find us faithful to point people to Jesus Christ this week? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you're dismissed.